Hey, I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down directing branded content with guest B. Monet. Before we dive in, remember we release bonus content for each episode we record over on patreon.com slash breakingoutpod if you want to support us and get yourself even more info and resources. But Without further ado, B, please introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you make? What do you love? Yeah. Oh, my God. I love you guys' uh, intro. I'm just like, yes, yes, all the things. <laughs> Getting everybody to name <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I'm pumped. I'm excited. I am a writer-director. I kind of direct things sometimes. Yeah, like, I've been doing this for a little while now. I'm so excited to be doing, like, just be a storyteller. I'm from Maryland originally and have been in New York for a while now kind of travel back and forth because of working with a lot of brands but yeah I just really want to also like get more into my narrative bag because I really miss that and Mm -hmm. um, I can't believe like many moons ago I met Christina from Indie Works and basically my short film won that year like oh my god I think it was like 2014 or 2015 so many so long ago now but (laughs) just appreciate all the things that you've been doing just in general and always just being a community advocate and making sure that filmmakers feel like, you know, it's possible to do what you were doing. Uh, Cause sometimes there's such a miseducation on like how to get started. So I love what you're doing. So thank you. And I love what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) So you said you've been doing this branding content for a little while now, how long, like when was your first branded content job of any kind? Yeah, I would say in 2018, so just a few years, but I always wanted to kind of like figure out like how to do commercials, how to do music videos. I grew up watching, you know, TRL and 106 and Park. So I definitely grew up in that kind of like short form content situation. Mm-hmm. Not to say that I wasn't watching movies too, but just always loved like shorter form also. But it was just, it felt like a really hard nut to crack when it came to like, trying to figure out how do you get into this space because what drives me crazy with like talking to a lot of like executive producers and head, heads of productions at different companies is that they're like yeah this person has a short film and they've done many short films but they don't have you know a small sample like they don't have a commercial a spot and so mm-hmm. it's just like yeah but they obviously can tell a story in a longer format why don't you allow them to do a shorter format and so my opportunity that first came like to get into this world is when I um, was engaged by Girl Gaze to do a short film, a branded film uh, with Levi's about Tarana Burke. That's who I pitched to them. Basically what they asked me is that, you know, do you have an idea? We're trying to do something for Women's International Month about just empowering women who are just doing great things in the world. And I was just like, well, why not have a black woman who literally created this movement so long ago and didn't think that it would, you know, be what it was. But I was just like, yeah, she would be a great person to highlight. So, yeah. So how did you get like connected to the people to the point where you were able to pitch and that all came together? Yeah, I think it was just honestly just being at the right place at the right time. I was trying to work with Girl Gaze at the time. And so they were just like, oh, they approached me about this opportunity because it ended up being a few films. And so they're just like, would you want to at all, you know, do this opportunity? And so what I had to do from there is I actually 
got into my resources and I was just like, who like knows Tarana? Cause I don't tech, I didn't technically know her. So I went on Facebook, did a little bit, bit of like investigating journalism and was just kind of like, Oh, Marta, a director I worked for, I DP'd a, a feature doc. She knows this woman somehow, like one of the interviewees mm-hmm. knew Tarana. So basically mm-hmm. Marta put in touch with Miss Joanne. Miss Joanne knows Tarana. So that was like my kismet, you know, <laughs> what is it? Under six degrees of separation that connected right. us I was just going to say, yeah, the six degrees of Tarana Burke. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I like that. That's a really great title. <laughs> <laughs> That's the subtitle for this episode. Yeah, um, please, please. <laughs> that's interesting that you were the one that had to make the connection. So is it that you had been like trying to find an, a project to work with on Girl Gaze? They eventually had an opportunity for you and then you pitched and they were like, cool, if you can get Sharana Burke, you're in. Was that kind of how that process looked? Yeah, pretty much. And I think how it usually works is more so like the company would imp- like would approach talent because they're such a big arm. And then they would say, hey, Reese Witherspoon, hey, Toronto Burke, hey, whomever, we have this project, yada, yada, yada. But I think they wanted us to kind of like already have kind of an established relationship kind of sort of, and then they could come on and see, you know, if there was any engagement that needed to happen. But yeah, it was it was interesting because it was my first time. So I didn't really Mm -hmm. know like what was the proper protocol. And I feel like that's just been the whole thing with my career anyways like even with going to NYU I feel like there's so many things that I didn't learn from Mm -hmm. film school can you expand on that what what things do you think were like big missing parts of your education I mean learning how to form an LLC learning about taxes as a creative learning how to like get a commercial like yes I took a commercial class but he didn't really teach us unfortunately at the time how to really like get in front of like companies or Mm. like it was just the whole thing of like create a spec commercial. But what I tell people is don't create a spec commercial, actually go down the, you know, rabbit hole of Instagram or rabbit hole of Twitter. There are a lot of startup and like new companies that don't have any videos and ask them, Hey, can I direct something for you? Instead of like creating a spec commercial for Adidas or Nike, like, of course, these are places that anybody wants to work for. They're very sexy companies. But like the reality of the thing is you might not work with a Nike just (laughs) at first. So it might be better to just like work with more, you know, realistic companies at first. It's not to say that that couldn't happen, but it, you know. It's the thing of like proving yourself. People need to prove that you can even tell a story in a short format to then even allow you to like work with bigger companies like that. So sure. and, and do storytelling on behalf of a brand, which is it's I'm sure a whole other can of beans that we'll get into. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> which is why I'm kind of like wanting to help people get into this space, but it's also just really, you know. I think for me, I'm just wanting more control, like as a filmmaker. And I think it's just interesting because, yes, you know, you need to pay the bills and that kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. I'm looking to be, I think sometimes with branded content, a lot of companies are not very creative. And a lot of the people that are giving you feedback are not necessarily creative people. Mm -hmm. And they will like choose the most uninspiring shot. Like they'll choose the (laughs) close up on someone's 
face, like a pimple on the side. And they're like, yes, but the product is about skincare. So we have to see that pimple. But why couldn't we have seen them in this sweeping wide, like walking through and maybe we like cut into the pimple, not just close up after close up after close up. So it's just... I don't know. It's a very interesting lane sometimes, you know? Yeah, I bet. So uh, so let's talk about that as a lane. So first of all, uh, this is something we like to, to talk to our guests about. Are you making your living primarily through branded content or a combination of other freelancing gigs? I'm making my living mostly as like a freelance director. So that includes documentaries that includes commercials branded content all of that and a little bit of consulting not as much but mainly you know as a director and I feel like I'm so lucky to even be making a living as a director because I know a lot of classmates of mine or just people who've attended film school some of them have just kind of like I feel like given up on the whole process and Mm. you know it's just really interesting how tables flip and turn because I definitely at NYU wasn't considered like a person that was going to make it quote unquote. I was not necessarily one of the protégés or one that people were looking out for or even mentoring. So it's just interesting how the people who were the favorites of the class aren't necessarily, I guess, the favorites in the world or just, I don't know. It's Mm -hmm. just not that I'm a favorite, but it's just, I don't know, it's just interesting how it all works out. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's there's such an element of randomness. There is never a point where you can say, definitively, my career is over or it is perfectly working out the way I expected. <laughs> just kind of got to roll with it. Um, okay, cool. So with that, can you can we talk about money for a second? So like, sure. how, uh, when you, specifically for branded content, we'll, we'll, you know, branch out in a second, but specifically for branded content, how do you tend to get paid? Is it an hourly fee? Is it a lump sum deferred? Like what, what is the payment process like for this yeah. kind of content? Well, most of the time people approach me and say, Hey, there's a brief that I, you know, because I'm a freelance director, I work with different companies. Sure. So they come to me basically usually through my Squarespace account and they're saying, Hey, B, you know, is it okay if we have a call real quick? You know, we want to put you up for this job. And then we get on another, we get on a call, we talk about it, we talk about budget, we talk about timeline, we talk about doing a treatment and a creative call. The creative call is just basically when the creatives walk you through their vision for the project. Because basically, you as a director in the commercial and branded space is more so you're in service to, I would say, that brand or that client. It's not necessarily about your vision necessarily, or you being so artistic, it's more so like you are hired because you're considered an expert or, you know, at least good in this job or good at this job. So it's like, okay, you're good at this job. Let's hire you. Let's see if you can do it. So from there, then it ends up usually being a triple bid situation where it's you against two other directors. Sometimes it can be more. What every director loves is to have a single bid situation where it's just, you know, a company is coming straight to you and saying, we only want you to direct this. Can you do it based upon the dates, the budget, the concept, whatever. But in a triple bid situation, you do a treatment, which is like a beautiful PowerPoint presentation, walking through how you as a director would do this thing. 
you talk about tone, you talk about vision, you talk about story, you talk about visual references, other things like wardrobe, makeup, whatever. And then after that, you have a call with the agency. The agency is basically kind of like the middleman between you and the client. Sometimes the client may be on the call. It depends. Then they decide if they want to go forward with you. If they end up going forward with you, then you end up shooting the commercial. Then the commercial could be a day shoot. It could be a week. It could be a few days, whatever. Usually then after you shoot it, it's almost like you might get paid. It really depends on the company. You could get paid like, I don't know, like 12 to 15 days after, depending on how the company's system works. It could be a net 30. Usually I get paid very quickly, like after I direct something like, you know, it might be like the production manager is just like, hey, where should I send what billing information? I need your billing information. So then I send it to them and either it's a direct deposit situation where it goes straight into my account or it's a situation where it goes to my it comes to me, like my mailing address. So, yeah, that's but budgets range like budgets could be. Like when I was first starting out, they started more lower. But now, because I've been doing it for a few years, they've gotten up there. I've never worked with like a budget that's like $1.2 million or something. But I hope that it's coming one day. But most of the budgets that I'm working in are kind of like the six-figure range. And so how that works is usually you as the director get 10% of that budget. So if it's like, I don't know, 400K, you should get 40K as the director. But what people also are trying to do is sometimes I feel like with creators of color or filmmakers of color, they're still trying to lowball us in terms of like the budget. So even with a 400K budget, they may say to you, oh, well, can you take 20? Or can you take 22, even though you're deserving of 40? So it's just kind of like, these are things that I feel like, again, film school, they don't really, I don't know, like they teach you They don't you teach stuff. you the negotiation aspect right. and, and the fact that it's not even across the board in terms of your starting negotiation bid. Yeah, yeah. Or even like, like I get really mad because there's a commercial that I've done that I did like in 20 I had to really think about that in 2020 at the end of 2020 but because I'm not union I don't get residuals on that but every time I hear this commercial it drives me insane because I got basically like I guess you could say like almost like a day rate like for each day I got paid this and then this and then I ended up kind of like getting a lump sum of like what like a final rate from that but then when I hear this commercial it just reminds me of like the fact that I kind of wish that I was union because I could get be getting more money for this thing that I'm hearing all the time so but there's also a thing of being union of like that comes with its own bag too because you have to pay union fees and yes you get health insurance and a lot of benefits but I think sometimes what makes me a little nervous about becoming union is I think, you know, it feels like sometimes a lot of people are jaded in the union Mm -hmm. space um, as opposed to non-union people are still hungry and still happy and still so grateful to be, I guess, even a part of something. And I feel like sometimes, you know, you have a lot of people who are capable in the union and like they've been doing this for years, 30 plus years, but they just seem so checked out. And it's just like, Oof, like to be around so many checked out 
individuals, I'm not going to lie, it does make me a bit nervous. <laughs> so yeah. That's fair. Yeah, I was going to ask about if, the, if you, these were like union rates or not. So are you not able to negotiate for residuals if you're outside of the union? Is that just a standard not thing they offer? Yeah, it gets it's just so tricky because it's just kind of like because you're not in the union, you don't have to be paid union rates. But then yeah. if you become union, you're really not supposed to take non-union jobs. Mm-hmm. So the, it, and if you do take new, it's, it's like if you do take a non-union job, as a union you it's like almost like it's a penalty if they find out Mm -hmm. but then you could also be credited basically it's like a hiding situation you could be credited like i could use a different name like b monet is my Mm -hmm. stage name i could technically use a different name and be credited as like the creative director and so if i was credited as the creative director they can they can't come back and be like oh we can penalize you that's very interesting so (laughs) given that that trepidation that you you have about sort of like the vibe and community of the union and sort of the inflexibility but also the collective bargaining power the ability to maybe get a little bit more that you deserve like for you what is the decision going to come down to in terms of joining the union eventually or not i think it would be like if a TV project or narrative project came across my desk that I really am passionate about. And I feel like, yes, I'm the perfect person to tell this story. And I can really also kind of like, I guess I would say just be very careful and thoughtful about crew. That would be awesome because I feel like what's interesting about that film that screened at Indie Works so long ago is because I felt safe. I felt like I was around people that I could create with. And I feel like it's just been interesting to navigate this space, you know, not really always feeling like I can talk to people about it. Because if I talk to people and I say, hey, yes, I'm directing a whole bunch of commercials. And yes, it's making me great, a great living, but I don't always feel happy with like the end product. People think I'm complaining. So then I don't feel like they're a safe space for me to like, talk to because they just think that I'm like, I'm moaning and groaning and it's like I'm not moaning and groaning I think it's okay to be like I want more as a storyteller but you know you just have to like choose your battles but um yeah community is just so big for me and I'm just trying to figure out how to be just always how to be intentional and how to really figure out like who can really be a part of my tribe when it comes to like making these longer form projects because I think I'm just always a pay it forward person but I feel like sometimes the people that I choose don't come from the same like ethos and so it ends up being a thing of I feel crushed because I feel like Mm -hmm. here I am holding out the baton to you but I don't know if you would do the same for me and so that just really it's just sticky because it's like you want to pay it forward with people but I don't know if they always want to do that you know for me. So yeah, it's yeah. hard to know until that circumstance comes up. And at that point, it's sort of a it's either too late or oh, good. <laughs> this worked out. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people just think directing is easy. I think they mm-hmm. just think, oh, like, it's just like telling people action. They don't realize it's a lot of people management and mm-hmm. egos and deal like the way that I speak to the production designer might be completely different than how I, I'm speaking to my DP. And I just don't think that people realize that it's a lot of like negotiating constantly. And like, if you don't like something, you don't, to me as a director, 
scream on set and yell at everybody. You pull somebody to the side and you have a one-on-one conversation, woman to man, woman to woman, whatever. But yeah, it's, it's so much more than just saying action. You know what I mean? It's, you know, it's, and I just don't think people realize that. And I don't know Mm -hmm. how to communicate that, but I also am like, you know what, you think you can direct, go for it. Like, you know, like not that I'm not here to mentor you, but sometimes people just don't hear you until they have to face it themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it is interesting how like the position of director is sort of deified and like it's one of the only ones that the Oscars like one of the only behind the scenes crew positions that the Oscars and like all these award shows mention. But also you're totally right that there are so many misconceptions about just like the act of directing and what it entails Mm -hmm. that it becomes this very strange. There are two directors we respect and everyone else is just saying action sort of thing, (laughs) even within the industry when like you're newer and you don't really know what you're doing. And it is very funny to watch that dichotomy especially because I think as all three of us know directing is a lot of things that is not just a matter of like you know staying the course and having a vision so speaking of vision I wanted to talk to you about these treatments that you're making for the pitch and also like your way of finding your footing in a project that isn't your own you know you're for hire you're a freelancer you're coming Mm -hmm. in with you said they already have a brief they already have a creative team put together with a vision so like what is your first step in finding like what is the BMONA version of this commercial yeah I feel like for me when I'm on the creative call I just try to like talk to the creatives and really try to understand what what is their inspiration behind this and try to like tease out and pull out what they're really saying that might not be communicated in the brief and I think what people sometimes don't do on creative calls is they feel like oh I can't ask questions and that's actually when you should ask questions Mm -hmm. just so that they feel like you're interested you're engaged you actually want to be here you know and if you And if you don't understand something, that's the time to kind of be like, hey, well, is it okay if we pivot in a different direction? Or I know that, you know, you want to shoot this vertically. Is there a way to like maybe have a TikTok component to it? Like, I think my way of like dealing with a lot of things is also to ask a lot of questions. And yeah, I think a lot of I have a lot of ideas always like bouncing in my head. So I'm always like, well, let me just try to run this past the person and even see if that is at all in the direction that they want to go. And if it seems like they're biting a little bit with it, then I'll just, you know, address that in my treatment. For me, also, I think it's important to research their previous work. So if you're working for, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a brand right now, Oreo cookies, I would say if you're going to potentially direct something for Oreo cookies, then you need to study that brand and kind of look and see what they've done before and try to see like what they kind of are missing. And I think that's the thing is like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but you could just be like, okay, well, you've never had a commercial that has this type of person or this type of concept. And so it's, it's me doing my research as almost like an investigative journalist to figure out what is it that they're missing and how can I speak to that? And so then I try to do that in my treatment, try to speak to the pro- the approach of like, hey, you know, and using anecdotes, I feel like is always great too, of like, you know, my first memory with Oreo cookies was this, this, and this. And so that they kind of feel like, okay, because people love stories, whether it's, you know, a sermon, um, you know, a speech, a treatment, people love stories. They love something that 
makes it feel like the personal is political and it doesn't just feel like, you know, something in the ether. So I would say, try to have an antidote antidote that you can share about your first experience or something with that company and Mm -hmm. then finding your spin on it. That spin could be whatever. But for me, my spin is usually the the thing that I feel like they're missing or that they haven't tackled. And so it's like, oh, I could be the first person to maybe tackle, you know, the fact that maybe they've never had like, I don't know, a black woman with an Afro who's eating Oreos and like she's on the beach and this and that, like trying to figure out what is my identity within this brand and how I I hopefully can, you know, bring about more people who I feel like are not really in that space. So that's usually like where I'm coming at with that sort of stuff and, you know, with treatments. So that's great. That's really cool. Christina, I feel like I've been dominating the questions. <laughs> I'll pass it over to you for a sec. Well, I just had one question going back to the negotiating piece of it. Are you doing that all yourself? Do you have reps who are doing any of that communicating? Yeah, it's funny because like I'm technically with a company right now, but I also feel like they're like, I'll tell him things that I don't like. Like I'll tell him like, hey, I want more money or hey, like, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like he he tries to work with me, but sometimes I don't feel like he's trying enough. So for me, I always feel like, and what I always tell people is no matter if you have, even in the film and TV world, no matter if you have an agent, a manager, a lawyer, an accountant, you still have to be your biggest advocate. So for me, I'm kind of like becoming my biggest advocate always and still. So like, I keep on getting work that I feel like is in a certain lane that I don't want to do. So I would also tell people what I did at first is I put a lot of stuff out there, but that's good and also bad because then people think that you are only capable of that one sort of thing. And so once you start to get more stuff on your reel that you feel like is a bit more exemplary or excellent or just a little bit more like maybe a higher production value, I would say to start kind of taking those things off your website and also just hide stuff. Even if it means you have less stuff on your website, it's okay. I have tons of stuff, but it's not on my website. It's in the Dropbox folder. So like, for instance, somebody just called me or texted me asking me about, hey, there's a job that I want to put you up for. And my option, what I will say is, hey, what is the timeline? What is the budget? What's the concept? And sometimes a lot of people don't like to talk about budget because, or like over email. So you just get on a call with them and see like what's going on. But I feel like a lot of stuff just comes down to me being my biggest advocate. I would love to be under an arm of support, but I just feel like I haven't really had that in just such a long time. So I just feel like I have to be my biggest everything. And I hope that there are going to be more companies in the future that really do look out you know, for folks, especially like me, who are still, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm still trying to figure it out. I have figured it out to a certain extent, but it would just be nice to have that support of like having a production company that really supports you from start to finish. From start to finish, I mean, from the concept to then treating, you know, from them, because what I usually have done is if I'm not designing it, I will have a designer actually design the treatment and I go back and forth with them in terms of image pulling 
they'll pull a whole bunch of images and then I'll tell them the ones that I like for each page. And then sometimes, you know, we'll have to do a little bit of copywriting or whatever, but it's nice to know what that feels like of just like having a company see you from the call to the treatment phase, to the actual big call to like selling yourself. Cause that's really what it is. You're not just selling this concept. You're trying to sell yourself. You're trying to win people over. I feel like Mad Men does a great job of kind of like expressing the ad world and the ad space, because that is exactly what it is. And I think maybe I shouldn't say this, but I I am going to say it. I think as a director in the commercial space and the branded space, it'll be better if you care less. Meaning Mm -hmm. like, because if you care so much, you're going to feel like your heart is broken every freaking time. And it's just kind of like, you got to protect yourself. Yeah. I mean, it feels annoying feeling like every time your heart's going to be broken. It's like, no, it's, it's not to say you don't put your energy out there and you want the best thing to happen. But I think you have to kind of approach things almost like actors do actors go out for, thousands of auditions they don't get all of the auditions that they go out for so as a director you have to kind of like see it as the same thing of like it's a gamble you may get it you may not but if you don't get it my thing is like maybe it went to the person that it was supposed to and that your opportunity to do something that you really love you know it's gonna come because I think I was so afraid of saying no for the longest time, because I was just like, oh, God, like, if I say no, am I ever going to get work again? And da, 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 da. And now it's just like, no, like this, it's an inconvenience. Like as much as it is a way to support yourself, it's still you doing something in service to someone else. So by nature, it also is inconveniencing your life. So if it's inconveniencing your life, you need to make sure that you are being paid for your services. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I know people, I know maybe I'm keeping it a little too real, but I just feel like people need to know what's up. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate that. No, I'm, I'm a hundred percent an advocate for having an appropriate emotional boundaries between yourself and your work that you do on behalf of other people, certainly Mm -hmm. just to protect yourself. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> it's important. And it's hard not to, you know, you grow up, especially I think like as women, as queer people, as people yeah. of color, you grow up thinking I have to work so hard to get even an ounce of what anyone else is getting. And when you work hard, you naturally put your everything into it. And then mm-hmm. as you become an adult, you realize, okay, I have trained myself to work hard. I know I have what it takes. And now I have to find a way to work that hard without feeling like it's consuming me. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to like do more than one thing per year. And that does not seem sustainable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I felt that. I, I was like, yes, like, keep, keep. Yes, I need you like, you know, like a voicemail of you just like saying this. I mean, I think it's something we've all gone through, especially during the pandemic, where mm-hmm. like we we don't have anything to distract us from the fact that all we're doing is working and being being miserable. Right. <laughs> and maybe we don't want to be that way anymore. Right. Or even just these companies that I just feel mm-hmm. like are so performative. You know, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. insert a black person here, a Latinx person here, an Asian mm-hmm. person here, a queer person here, a trans person here. But it's like, what are your ethos though? Like, do you mm-hmm. actually still care about like changing the infrastructure of 
your company and what it your belief system like or are you just saying that to just be performative or hip or mm-hmm. to make sure that you're still getting those dollars from the communities of of color that you're exploiting you know right. so it's just it's it's a weird place too to like be a filmmaker but then to also see what these companies are trying to do and then also you know it's very interesting to get emails being like, we're looking for a female AA African-American director. You know, we want beautiful emotional storytelling, but the budget is low. So you're telling me you literally want to have all this stuff and you want the world to be just presented in front of your eyes and stuff. But at the same time, you don't want to pay black people what we deserve. And so it's just, yeah, it's not giving. (laughs) <laughs> let's let's dig into that then, because I think that that's probably a question a lot of people who, it sounds like yourself, obviously prefer narrative, want to tell their own stories, yeah. but like the sort of hesitation to go into branded content is the like sort of capitalism of it all, the no right? ethical consumption right. or employment other capitalism issue of it all. So <laughs> how, how do you navigate that of like, you know, your morals, your ethos, but also your need to eat dinner every night and pay rent? Like, right. you know, how do you navigate that line? How do you, how do you yeah. approach that? I think I haven't always gotten it right. Right. Of just like, you know, sure. I think at the beginning, I was just so happy to just be so, and it's just like, and that's just how capitalism is for Mm -hmm. people who are other to be like, you're just supposed to be so humble all the time and so grateful. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. fuck that. Like sometimes (laughs) it's just like, you're tired of always being humble and grateful. Yes, you're thankful for the opportunity, but it's like at some point, I mean, are are white men saying that? You know what I mean? Are Mm -hmm. they saying like, oh my God, thanks dude for this opportunity? No, they're just like proceeding forward. And so I feel like the rest of us need to do the same of just like, yes, thank you for this opportunity, but hey, my day rate is this. And I think sometimes, I think it is uncomfortable, right? As a woman of color to talk about like money, like- Mm -hmm. To be like, hey, like, I understand, but actually, I really am paid this. Like, for instance, Complex reached out to me about doing these really cool portrait pieces on folks. But I was just like, yeah, what you want to pay me for four people over a span of time for like four of these is actually my day rate for one day. So I understand that this is a great opportunity, but I don't think I could articulate that in the beginning of my journey of this because I was just so damn humble and so happy to be like, you know, like, Oh my God. Yes. Like, but it's also like, that's just so annoying. Like I'm just over that. And I guess because I've just directed so much, Thankfully, a lot of branded content and commercials. I'm also just like wondering, like, when the budgets increase, when do a lot of things start to look a little bit different? So it's just kind of like, I don't want to be unhappy for the next, you know, couple of weeks, like dealing with people who are who are harassing you in a way of like, Mm -hmm. they're emailing you all the time. They're texting like, hey, can we get on a call before, you know, this meeting as if you haven't done as if you haven't pitched yourself, you know, it's just annoying. I I don't like being micromanaged as a person. Mm. So I just feel like it's just a very hard space to navigate when you feel like you have to always prove yourself, not just 
because I feel like I'm always having to prove myself every time, every time people still can't take in the fact that, you know, a black woman is directing this. Like, even if they saw my name on the call sheet, they may have never seen any of my work or any of, or, or just surprised that I can actually direct. It's just very, it's just insulting. You know what I mean? And just very disrespectful because I'm sure if I was a white guy or white male, you would have looked at his stuff, but because I'm a black you a person, Jurassic world or something. Oh yeah. Or just, <laughs> I mean, I had to get into it a little bit with the Steadicam operator for a thing that I did in LA like two months ago because, or a month ago, because he was just kind of like, well, I don't know what you want. And I had to get snippy and I don't like getting snippy on set. But in this moment, it was just like, I'm going to match your energy because mm-hmm. I'm not about to have you not do what I need you to do. And this is also such this little girl of color is this black girl is so important and like in my community. And I'm not about to have you disrespect that. So if that means that I have to tell you and get a little short with you, then I will, because it, it was just so frustrating and not feeling like, again, having an AD, yes, who looked like me, but at the same time, I felt like in that moment, he also wanted to direct. And I feel like this is just a a problem that I feel like I keep on running into where there's just a lot of men and women who look like me and who don't look like me who want to direct. And it's just kind of like, I need you to just do your job. Like, can you just do your job backseat directing (laughs) kind of thing oh yeah production designer was like well as soon as I would walk out of the room the talent was nice enough to tell me oh as soon as you walk out of the room she's always just like well I would do it like this and I would have did it like this but you're not though right so (laughs) So, oh my god yeah and just you know like again I would like to I don't want to paint this negative view of directing but you do have to woman up you do have to man up because you are I feel like it's I wear combat boots on set because I really feel like I'm getting ready for battle because I always feel like I I have to be on and it's just annoying feeling like you always have to just be on all the time and you can't ever slip up or you like god forbid you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so I think that's not the thing that people talk about because all they do all they see is like you working with these shiny brands and these shiny people right. or whatever and they don't realize just all of the minutia of what you have to deal with and it's totally right. how much control do you have over hiring um either in crew or cast um cast not so much because i've tried to get plenty of friends who are actors onto mm-hmm. stuff and it's just also very interesting what or how you know clients um just choose and it's just like it's very interesting because they'll say one thing of like hey we're trying to do better and I'm like okay if you're trying to do better here's a person that will literally (laughs) visually and viscerally make sure that people will feel like you're doing better but at the Mm -hmm. same time you still choose a safe approach you still Mm -hmm. choose always the safest thing and it just Mm -hmm. drives me insane in terms of crew I don't mind working with new crew but sometimes that also can be a good thing and a bad thing because you're walking you might be walking on landmines meaning like 
you could work with somebody new, but at the same time, everybody presents themselves to be amazing and great and all this, but you don't really know who you're dealing with until you're in, in bed with them almost like, so, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll recommend people here and there. I'm also always open to working with new people just because I never want to kind of like, as a director, stay in this lane of like, you know, B. Monet's look always looks like this. I kind of don't want that to be a thing because I don't want people to feel like they know what is up, like what I'm about to do. Meaning like, Mm -hmm. I understand a lot of people love safety and like consistency, but I guess for me and my brain, I kind of like to be creative and like, you know, it's like, for instance, like if I put all of my pictures on Instagram, having a green tone, I feel like as an artist, I should be able to then change it up and put an orange tone, you know, video or, or picture. But I think sometimes in commercials, people are just so very rigid and they cannot conceive that the person who does car commercials could then do beauty. Like you literally have to show them that you can do beauty for them to literally think that you can do beauty. It's not because you can't, it's just, they don't, they can't conceive of it unless they see it spelled out. So that's something you have to know about getting into this space that if you want to go into certain things like fashion, beauty, cars, docu, branded, you kind of have to kind of show that. And that's, what's always hard is getting the first thing. And so the first Mm -hmm. thing is kind of, I think the hardest, but then once you get that, I think it really helps. So like I said, I think people should definitely reach out to companies directly, like smaller companies on Instagram, on Twitter, say, hey, or startups, black businesses, whatever, you know, any type of business that they're like, they feel like they could kind of elevate their look and feel and be like, hey, I want to do this. It might cost you, meaning like you might have to put up the money for a camera or ask your friends also for favors and just be like, yo, I'll treat you to a very nice dinner and a movie, but I need you to do this thing for me. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) I mean, it kind of goes back to the thing you said at the very beginning of this conversation about you're going to be dealing with a lot of people who are not creatively, you know, talented necessarily and it comes back to like the perception and I feel like we've had this conversation with a handful of our guests at this point where not just in commercials but in all aspects of film and tv and oh, entertainment <laughs> is people want you to pick a lane and then they cannot perceive you going any um, like step outside of that lane because they're like no you're the you're the this person so just do that over and over and over again how can we know that you can do this other thing which utilizes all the same skills but is different you yeah. haven't done that before so can you and it's frustrating to have to constantly be proving things right. that you've already proven a million times. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just, no, because it's just, sometimes it just makes you feel like, what does this industry want? You know, like mm-hmm. how many diversity panels do you have to be on? How many hashtags do you have to use before people really get it? Because I don't mm-hmm. think it's that hard also for folks to like get like, even though that's a different conversation, but I just feel like it's in tandem with what you said of, like, if you're a dude, you can just do anything, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. of any color. I just think with women, it's a little bit different where it feels like, oh, well, she, like, even a, another woman told me my name was on a desk for some narrative project. And she was just like, oh, well, you're the doc girl. And I was just like, excuse me? Like, yes, I do documentaries, <laughs> but... That doesn't mean that I don't do narratives as well, but it was just so yeah. annoying to hear 
that feedback that, you know, again, what you're saying is that she literally thought, you know, well, she's a documentary girl, so that's all she can do. And it's like, no, I'm so capable of so much more. I just need the chance. I need the opportunity. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I wonder for I want to hear from both of you on this, like, how we navigate how like anyone is supposed to navigate this industry complexly you know mm-hmm. with something that we talk about a lot with our tv writer guests have been you know a lot of them were writer directors in the indie world and have transitioned to just writing or just directing and like why they had to decide and most people who ended up going one way or another said someone told them they needed to pick a lane and mm-hmm. so they committed yeah. and went with that yeah. How do we get to a place where we don't have to pick a lane, you know, mm-hmm. whatever those lanes that we want to be on are, you know, for, for both of you? How, is there anything that we can brainstorm right now for smart <laughs> filmmaking women that makes us not have to package ourselves smaller and smaller so that we're hireable, you know? Yeah. I mean, I could talk about that for a while, so I don't know if you want. <laughs> Maybe, Christina, you go. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we talk, we bring it up a lot on the podcast and I personally just sort of refuse to be put into a box. But that means I don't, I'm in a situation where I'm not necessarily trying to be hired. I'm trying to get my work funded. And so it's sort of a different realm where I don't really want to play that game. Like we say in the intro, I'm more on the side of not wanting to play the Hollywood game where I really want to tell the stories I want to tell. And I choose the path of convincing people to give me the money to do it as opposed to trying to convince people to pick me for the stories they want to be told, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, but I'm also in a, like in a privileged position to be able to do that. I have a spouse who has a good income. And so like I can say no to things and I can take the time to again, try and convince people to give me money. Whereas some people just (laughs) have to go for the stuff that's hiring and, and fit into into boxes and and that's not like I, I don't shame anyone for making the choices they have to make because we are living under capitalism and we 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 want to get to a point where we can tell our stories and sometimes you do have to start by by telling the stories others want you to tell and and I think doing it the way that you're doing it be where you bring yourself to it as much as you can and then getting to a point where you're able to say no and start having more control and and yeah it's I think everyone's path is different and and I think really it's just like when you when you're in it and when you're on the other side of it being as open and transparent as possible which is you know what we we try to do on the podcast so that so that we can try and change it so that for the next people coming in there there there's more space to be themselves and to do to carve their own path yeah yeah I yeah, think that's a really good that. point, Christina, and about the transparency aspect, because I do think that so much of like the misconceptions that B, you've talked about and that we've talked about many times on the podcast come from not a lack of information, but a lack of people being open with information that does exist. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if we hadn't talked to you, we wouldn't know that it is standard to get 10% of the budget for a director on a branded shoot. If I went out for a branded shoot tomorrow and they offered me 2% of the budget that was in the six figures. I'd be like, wow, I'm set for life, you know, because no one would have told me that. And I I do think that that keeps us all trapped without that solidarity, without that community that you were talking about before. 
Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think it's okay to get it wrong so that you can get it right. You know, like, again, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I think Mm -hmm. maybe that's the thing with film that you kind of have to, the best way to learn is just kind of to throw yourself out into the wind and see what happens. But then you can take inventory and be like, um, is this working for me still? You know, it's okay (laughs) to be like, you know, to retreat and not just like go after things just because it sounds great or it's like oh my god this sexy shiny brand is reaching out to little old me but it's like yeah they're reaching out to you because you're dope and you're amazing so I think it's also changing the narrative to be like I'm not like this you know like this small shriveled up thing but like literally opening up um and expanding your palette and so to me what we can do is you know having conversations like this I think are really important I think also making work that matters to you, like not waiting for a studio or brand or a company to say, hey, you know, in there, do you want to make this thing? Like, just make it on your own, even if it means that you kind of have to, like, wear multiple hats. I think if you have more control and, like, you appreciate and you love what you do, like, I think that that's important. Like, I just think about when I first came to New York and how green I was and just how happy I was with just like making stuff and like I was just kind of like make just always making things and how you know life getting older you know things change and shift but I think I'm wanting to kind of get back to that older part of myself that was just like making things and just being creative and whether someone saw it or not that wasn't really the, the point as long as I was doing and creating that's what's important because I think as like multidisciplinarian artists that that's really what we, we what we're set out to do we need to be creating but we also need to have community so I think people need to also be real about their resources and about their power and about you know can you recommend you know people for this job like I've done that I literally recommended um, a mentee of mine for plenty of things. <laughs> she was just like, thank you for having this company. Reach out to me. They didn't end up going with her, but that's not the point. The fact of the matter is I really want to walk the walk and talk the talk. And I think that comes from being like, it can't just be me. You know, if mm-hmm. like, it's the Easter Ray thing of like looking around and being like, yeah, I want my friends here. If it's already a daunting career field, it would be nice to have real allies who are really willing to get into the trenches with you and not just people who surfacely talk about it. So I think those are some of the things we can do. And that's also another reminder to everyone to like, hey, don't be a dick on set because, you know, that steady cam operator, but you're not recommending them for many jobs right. afterwards or that well. production designer. <laughs> and it's like, even if you think that they're out of the room, if you talk shit, that's going to come back around. And the film industry feels vast, but is actually very small. So, you know, maybe just be a good person and who knows, maybe that'll be the trick. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's the Libra in me that's like, (laughs) I'm kind, but do not try it. Like, meaning like something like if I walked away from that experience being like, yeah, you're really talented, but you made me feel a certain way. Then for me, I don't want to proceed with working with you or contribute. Like, I don't think... 
us collaborating would be beneficial. So I think let's just stop it at the one time deal. And let's just, you know, I wish you well on your journey. Hopefully you wish me well on mine. It's okay. No love loss, but we will not be working together. (laughs) That's right. Well, it's like the difference between like niceness, kindness, and retribution, I guess is the third one. Like niceness (laughs) is you recommend them just because you feel like it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Kindness is you treat them politely and with respect and then move on your way. And retribution or whatever the the final word would be (laughs) is like, I'm going to destroy your life. (laughs) And it feels like maybe the middle road is the best one where it's like treat everyone with respect and kindness know when you know it doesn't need to go further than that you don't need to go out of your way for somebody who's been rude to you but you also don't need to go out of your way in the other direction and oh destroy my God. Them. yeah that's, that's a good one i feel like we need to put that like on sets or just you know the ad when they're like you know introducing everyone's name like okay is this going to be a nice set a kind set a retribution you know what i mean like, <laughs> Is this the Hunger Games of a yeah. branded shoot? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, love that. I really love is this that. To the death. Um, okay. The last question was going to be interview and like application tips, but I feel like you've already yeah, given us a lot of those. Like, find the story, find a story that connects you to the piece, so you're not just giving like you know taking them away in a story, but introducing them to why you are the right person to tell it, right. uh, and then building a treatment that acknowledges what they've done before and shows how you can provide them with something that feels reminiscent but is unique and you know whatever is there any other uh interview or application or treatment tips that you can offer to anyone wanting to get into the branded space yeah this is trying to think talks about research talks about Mm -hmm. you know like just looking and just reassessing like what does the brand not have and Mm -hmm. and how you can speak to that I think if you ever have any additional questions, don't feel like you can't, like, again, reach back out to them. And if you're maybe newer in this space, and if you don't really like a whole bunch of, like, public speaking, then maybe also, like, practicing your pitch with the producer beforehand might be helpful so that they can maybe give you feedback on, like, oh, like, you know, what's going to happen here? (laughs) You know what I mean? And they can kind of just give you it doesn't still mean you'll get the job, mm-hmm. but it might just be nice to have that feedback so that they know, okay, what's happening, you know, or you know mm-hmm. what's happening or where kind of like the weaknesses are and the strengths are. And you can just kind of like amplify that for the next round. So that might be, I guess, the only thing that I can think of. Well, and if there's someone that you really admire who's in the space and you're like, really, you really love their work, maybe reach out to them and ask them if they wouldn't mind like, you know, speaking for 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And like pay for people's coffee. you find out who's in the space? Because like most commercials don't have, you know, directed by music videos do now more and more. But like, yeah, how do you even find out who's behind a cool spot? Well, I mean, Instagram, you can also just like go down the rabbit hole and just kind of like follow other directors, creators, DPs. Sometimes, you know, a lot of DPs will also tag. They'll be like, you know, yours truly and then they'll have all the other people who are in so I would start like tracking people through Instagram Twitter not so much because I don't really Mm -hmm. feel like people really use Twitter for like their reels and stuff but Instagram and TikTok sure certainly but then there are other resources like free the work where you can go on free the work you can create a platform and you can also see other 
like specialties and and disciplines. Like if you're looking for a colorist or looking for a DP or looking for an editor, you literally can go on this website. You can sift through who you're trying to look through and then you can kind of look over their work. And again, just reach out to people. I know, I guess my brain is like very research based because I wanted to be a journalist a long time ago. So Google is still your friend. And I think sometimes people forget that. Like literally mm-hmm. you could just be like, I don't know, queer director in Philippines, queer direct or like black, Latinx, whatever. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Co- comedic directors for, you know, commercials or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think, or maybe, you know, keep it sometimes less, you know, specific and just keep it more broad, but just maybe just say comedic directors, U.S., and see what you find. And then you might find a whole bunch of people that you didn't even know existed. But there's so many databases now, like even, mm-hmm. you know, Cinematographers XX, Bid-Black is really great. God, there's just, there's so many. Brown Girls Doc Mafia is great also. Mm-hmm. What is it? New York Women Filmmakers. That's a great point is like, you know, do the work. And also once you find one director, one DP, they're going to lead you to so many others because most people don't work in silos. You know, they right. work with a great variety of people. So once you know one person, it becomes a lot easier to learn two more people and on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally just go down the rabbit hole and, you know, get out of the rabbit hole at some point because, you know, <laughs> it's so easy to just stay there. But mm-hmm. once you find people that kind of resonate with your style or your look and feel or just even people who you feel like they have the same ethos, they may come from the same cultural community that you come from, reach out, see if they're they're willing to like, you know, again, have a coffee with you and pay for the coffee. Don't mm-hmm. assume, yes. like be respectful because people just sometimes don't have that etiquette of like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you literally want someone to come out of their house, wash their funky tail, go out, you know what I mean, to meet you. So Yeah, you, they're doing you a favor. Right. right. So you need to, you know, act accordingly and pay for a $5 coffee or whatever. I mean, come on. Like, that's no, no big deal, especially if they're going to give you a wealth of knowledge. So Sure. That's yeah, right. it's literally the least you can do. <laughs> and even if they don't, like... And if they're like, I'm good, just be like, well, you know, I got you on the next one. I'm taking you at like, just, I think, I think sometimes generosity also can get you a lot of places. And I think a lot of filmmakers, sometimes artists don't always come from that space because it's this scarcity mindset of like, I can be Mm -hmm. the only one and da, 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 da. And you don't realize that sometimes having, just opening your heart a bit more, still having boundaries, but opening sure. your heart can allow for some beautiful things to like come forward. So, yeah. So I just wanted to wrap it up by talking a little bit about your own kind of passion projects and oh. <laughs> how you, if you're able to find balance there with with the for hire work and actually making the stuff that your heart desires and, and how you find that balance and maybe what's next for you in that space. Yeah, yeah. Y'all coming with the questions, man. <laughs> Woo. No, um, I, I'm happy to be writing going back to narrative work, I'm writing kind of like a psychological thriller right now. I wrote it so long ago, like as like a short story, but now I'm actually trying to like tease out and trying to like really understand 
you know, more of the plot and because it was just a short story. So now I have all of this extra time and space to live with these characters. So I'm really excited about that. And then, you know, I don't know how much I can talk about this other project, but I am working on a feature documentary. So we are going to begin filming soon and hope to be done with post this year. And then we'll see what happens with that. And then, you know, I do commercials still here and there, but I am being more intentional. Like this year is my year of like, no more Miss Nice Girl of like, yes, I appreciate the opportunity, but if it doesn't really resonate with me anymore, I just, you know, I think the pandemic has always, has made all of us just have to reassess things, whether we want to or not. And even in a capitalistic society, you can say no. It just may mean that you might have to do other things to supplement your income. Like for instance, I've always also wanted to always teach. So Mm -hmm. yes, you know, I love, you know, the fact that branded stuff is very quick. Like usually you're doing stuff, you know, whether it might be like a day, like shooting for a day or like maybe a week. None of my stuff has ever been like too long, like at most a few days. And then you get paid. Like Mm -hmm. that's what's really nice about that world. But I'm just like reassessing like what does life look like now and what really speaks to me. And if it doesn't speak to me, like it's okay to say no and it's okay to like just cultivate my 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 gifts again. Like, you know, really love photography and love teaching and, you know, always wanted to DP. So I'm just like maybe those are ways to kind of like supplement, you know, some of this energy. So I don't know. That's wonderful. Still figuring it out. I'm like, I'm still figuring it out. I think that's the thing is like 10 years from now, I don't know, like a year from now, you know, who knows? Like, I think that's Mm -hmm. what's kind of cool about this industry is that you have so much time to kind of like grow and evolve and, and maybe to be like, "Mm, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. And that's okay. You know? Absolutely. dreams can change and that doesn't mean that like you're being unfaithful to your younger self it just means that you've grown up and that's also valid (laughs) right yeah we're always growing yeah all right cool well thank you bimone so much uh where can people be finding and following you we'll obviously put some links in the episode description but from your from your mouth to our ears (laughs) where should people go if they want to follow all the cool stuff that you're doing next i would say my instagram Definitely. I'm not as active on Twitter, but on Instagram, my handle is direct her Bimonet. So the pronoun her, not mm-hmm. director, but direct her. <laughs> um, and then on Twitter, I am Bimone Worldwide. I had to think about that because I'm like, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> yeah, that's not really where the visual folk. Twitter is for the writers. Instagram is for everyone else, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I have TikTok, but I still have not posted anything. But I do enjoy the platform. But I don't know. Uh We'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how how eerily it gets to your core before you're like, mm, I this is you know too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need to leave because <laughs> I'm getting to that point where I'm like, mm, I don't like how well you know me. Right? This feels uncomfortable. <laughs> dare you speak exactly to my soul like this i am not on tiktok to be perceived tiktok i am here to perceive other things this is not what i was looking for (laughs) 
Right? TikTok is a whole other bag of can, uh, bag of cans, bag of beans, <laughs> of cans, whatever. Thank you so yes. much, Bimone. Um, yes, thank and you. I'm, we're excited to see where you go next. Yeah, and yeah, I'm excited for y'all too. So thank you again for having me. And yeah. I hope that I told the folks a little bit of things that they could take home. I don't you did. Know. You absolutely did. A hundred percent. People are going to love this. It's been so helpful. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them and our guest are in our episode description. And thank you to our booby VIPs who are our $10 supporters on Patreon, including Kim Garland, Amanda Blunt, Anthony Epp, Kelsey Rauber, Norman Steinberg, Jerry Maravilla, and Brandy Nicole Payne. If you want your name on that list and or to have access to our bonus resources related to each and every episode, you can subscribe for as little as $3 to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. Or join our free newsletter where we share a new creative prompt each month. Next episode, we'll be discussing filming for found footage. Be sure to tune in.